0: What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me here for this Tuesday edition of Fantasy MLB today. We are a Sports Ethos presentation, of course, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You can find me over on Twitter at Joe Orico99, also at Ethos Fantasy BB. Make sure you guys are following over there; posting a ton of stuff right now, even during the off season, but also in season. That's where you'll find a lot of my daily updates, my notes on the previous day's games, talking about who's being added, who's being dropped in particular leagues. So make sure you guys are going and following over there and going and checking out sportsethos.com. That is the Mothership website where you'll find all of these links posted right from the source, of course, for these articles, podcasts, everything that we have going on across all major sports. We have golf coverage. We have a ton of stuff, really. Uh, I can't even get into it. I could spend a whole podcast talking about everything we have going on at the site, but there is coverage for gambling, for DFS, specific team coverage, most notably in the NBA, but we are looking to expand on that as well. And that'll bring me uh, to something I wanted to touch on here off the top. We are hiring people. We're bringing people aboard the sports ethos team right now across all sports. We're always hiring across all sports for different positions, blurb writers, editors, uh, content producers of various natures. But right now, I want to talk about baseball because we're bringing people on specifically for a couple different things that I'm interested in expanding. The Dynasty content, I really want to get more of that going from sports ethos. Also, points league coverage. I don't really play points leagues anymore, but I know a lot of you guys do, and I want to have content that does cover points leagues. So, we are talking about bringing on some points league people as well, and that team content coverage, uh, team coverage content that I did mention on the basketball side. We have a couple of teams that we are covering in Major League Baseball, but I do want to expand that to be covering eventually, hopefully, all 30 teams. As sort of a beat writer, obviously, you won't have credentials, but you'll be covering the team doing a couple of podcasts a week. Written coverage is also uh, an option there if you want to be talking about the team through articles, through blurbs, notes, whatever. Uh, There's a lot of different positions that we are bringing people aboard for, so make sure you reach out if you are interested. We've already had a couple people reach out today. Uh, I did tweet something out earlier, so make sure you guys do uh, reach out to me through Twitter. That's probably the best way. If you guys want to reply to that tweet or send me some kind of message, uh, always open to talking about those kind of possibilities. But today we're going to pick up where we did leave off uh, last week on Thursday. It was the last time we talked about it. Starting pitcher reviews. Friday, Yamamoto signed, and we didn't get into uh, pitching that day. While we did in a different nature. We just talked about Yamamoto on Friday and the fantasy implications and also the real-life implications. And then yesterday was Christmas. Everybody had stuff going on. I didn't think there would be much time to listen to a podcast. I didn't have much time to record one, but I did do a short one Talking about three of my favorite late ADP players to draft my ADP Christmas presents to you guys. So go ahead and check that one out if you did miss it. But we're going to pick up where we did leave off on Thursday. We did the top 30 starting pitchers last week uh, between Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. If you guys did miss them, please go check them out. We did 1 through 10, 11 through 20, 21 through 30. Today we're doing 31 through 40. And we are, of course, just a reminder if you guys have missed these shows or if you've forgotten, we are using Yahoo's Player Ranker to go through these names based on how they have them ranked. And we are going to kick off today with Mr. Bailey Ober. Bailey Ober probably finishing a bit higher than a lot of people would have expected. 31 is a pretty decent finish for somebody that, you know, specifically if you're talking shallower leagues, you weren't really having to pay any kind of specific draft price on him. He threw 56 innings in 2022, 11 starts. He had a good 321 ERA. The supporting metrics were kind of all over the place. Good FIP, but bad X fip bad xERA. era Not a ton of strikeouts. I think he was being drafted, but not like he was... You know, 250s kind of range from what I remember. Yahoo, uh, ADP-wise, he was kind of like a last couple of round pick. Not somebody, if he was even being drafted, right? Some formats he wouldn't have even been drafted. And I'm not talking about NFBC leagues because those are a lot deeper. Bailey Ober was drafted in most of them. And he did pay off pretty handsomely for you. He did get that strikeout rate up a little bit from twenty two and a half up to twenty five point three. Definitely more respectable. Twenty two is fine; it's about average, but getting it up to twenty five there, solidly above average, while also having great control. Only a five percent walk rate, something that has always been uh, one of his specialities. There, keeping runners off base and a one point five whip, or excuse me, one point zero five whip in twenty twenty two. Followed that up with a one point zero seven whip this past season. The ERA was three forty three. His ex-FIP was 4.2, uh, the FIP was 3.96, and the XERA, 3.63. You know, pretty solid to go along with a 3.87 Sierra. All of it looked really good for Bailey Ober. He made 26 starts, 144 innings pitched. He looked really, really good this season, and he honestly, I've heard this comparison made. I don't fully buy into it, but a lot of people are saying that he is like a cheaper version of George Kirby. <clears throat> I understand the comparison. I do think that Kirby's upside is still higher. I think that Kirby can have a higher strikeout rate to go along with a lower walk rate and I think better team context overall. I think there's a lot of things that lean more in Kirby's factor, but it's not a bad comparison. Ober is kind of that Kirby light where you're getting a similar kind of production and he is 100 picks later. Again, I don't think that the upside is the same. I don't think that the floor is the same either. I think that Bailey Ober is a guy who could very easily have what Steamer is projecting him for, which is a 4.26 ERA. To go along with a slight regression in strikeout and walk rate, I could definitely see that being true. I could also see Bailey Ober giving you a very similar season to Kirby, though. I wouldn't be drafting him anywhere near that range, but that's kind of the beauty of it. You don't have to be. Bailey Ober going up pick 163 on average, and I'm narrowing down ADP at this point. We've kind of entered into that range. I was going to start in the new year, but I think we're at a point now where you can start to narrow it based on the last month. So we're looking at the last month of draft champions. We've also had a lot of gladiator drafts, which do throw off ADP quite a bit. People have different strategies that they implement, and it's almost like a a cheap way to try out different things that you're interested in. You know, you draft eight pitchers in a row or you draft eight batters in a row, and people just will mess around a little bit. So it does throw off ADP. But if you're using draft champions specifically over the last month, it gives you a good idea of what the public is thinking right now. And honestly, Bailey Ober at 163 seems like a really pretty, honestly, great deal uh, at that point. I don't think Minnesota is an amazing team, but I think they're still solid enough where – Again, you don't know with wins. Sonny Gray was incredible for Minnesota last year, and he got eight wins. So you can kind of throw away whatever you're thinking about wins for anybody because Sonny Gray came second in Cy Young voting while only having eight wins. But I do think that Ober's going to have a decent chance to be able to get you double-digit wins. I don't think that you're going to be getting a lot of strikeouts from him. But at this point in the draft, you can kind of target specific needs. And a need that does go kind of overlooked a lot of the time is Whip. People don't really focus on WHIP a lot of the time. I'm guilty of it. A lot of people are guilty of it. You look at, you know, for guys who are on good teams because they're going to give you wins. You look for high strikeout rates and you look for guys who historically have good ERAs. But WIP can be something that's not always tied with ERA. So it, it does, you know, it, there is some correlation there, obviously. But sometimes you'll see a guy like Bailey Ober who may not be the greatest ERA contributor even this next season, right? But I think that that whip is going to be something that you can kind of rely upon because of how low the walk rate is. Unless he has a huge spike in what he's allowing in terms of BABIP, it's always been pretty good. He's a 2.83 BABIP guy over his first nearly 300 innings. Unless there's some massive spike there where he is allowing an exorbitant amount of base hits, I think you're going to get a really solid whip out of Bailey Ober you're getting really good production, I think, from around 11 draft pick in a 15 team league. I, I I don't really have that much concern here. I think that he is a solid pick. He's coming off of a solid season and he's projected to build on that in terms of innings. Again, I've mentioned this in the past that Steamer can be a little wonky in terms of what they project for innings. There are some guys that I really don't agree with their prediction. Glass now, in particular, they think he's going to go like 170. You know, they think Mike Trout, and even just games played, innings, pitched, whatever. They think Trout's going to play like 140-something games, maybe even 150. Like, it, there are some things in terms of playing time that I do disagree with. But in terms of the actual skill, I think that Bailey Ober can be a really solid kind of stabilizer for whip in your rotation there. You're only talking about maybe your SP5, 4, 6, maybe. It depends on your specific build. But in that kind of range, you can take a little bit of a risk. And I don't even think it's that big of a risk, honestly, considering uh, the skills that Bailey Ober does have. So I'm willing to take a chance on him there in round 11. I don't think he's going to be terribly shiny. I don't think the people are going to be pushing him terribly high up draft boards. But I think that he will be somebody that can give you a really solid season in 2024. Let's talk Tanner Bybee. I was really impressed with what Tanner Bybee did for you this season. Now, his season was cut a little bit short. He did have a hip problem, and if you are looking at certain fantasy sites right now, it will say Tanner Bybee 60 day IL. He was transferred there at the end of the season, but I do believe that was more of a roster uh move. They needed to it was more of a logistical thing as opposed to anything to actually look at and be scared about. Uh, he missed his last, I think it was two or three starts of the season because of that hip injury, but it's not expected to hold him back. As from what I've heard, I haven't heard anything terribly concerning about it this offseason. Gonna assume that he's gonna be full steam ahead for 2024, and hopefully he can build off of what was an incredible rookie season. He threw 142 innings. He had a sub three ERA at 298. Now he did outperform his advanced metrics: a 366 xERA, 422 xFIP, and he had a 419 Sierra. It's not the end of the world, though, especially as a rookie in a really good pitching org. And to have a three a sub-3 ERA to build off of, even though he outperformed his metrics, I'm not going to be overly concerned about that in the long term and say, you know, he's not somebody who's actually as good as what we saw. Like, I think the Tanner Bybee is a legit stud in the making. And I think we're going to be seeing that more and more over the next several seasons. We saw it in the minor leagues. He was absolutely dominant wherever he was, high A, double A, triple A, not the largest stints, in, either, in any destination you know 12 starts in high a 13 in double a three in triple a but he dominated and he carried that over to the major league level as well this past season albeit you know you have to take it for what it is right and a lot of people will say well it's a rookie 25 games you know you can't read too much into it it is what we have to read into right now you're looking at above average strikeout rate of 24 percent a very solid 7.7 percent walk rate He had a 1.18 whip, very in line, um, Babbitt and left-on-base numbers. Maybe the left-on-base at 80 is a little high. But overall, you're not looking at a season that's like, well, this was completely unsustainable. Bobby's going to completely fall off next season. It's not going to be anything. No, I think especially considering the organization that he is in, you can see that they will make some changes. And I don't know exactly what those changes will be. Again, I'm not an expert in the field of pitching, especially when I hear people like Kyle Bodie, Eno Saris, these guys who are incredibly intelligent pitching minds talk. I realize how out of my depth I am sometimes with these mechanical changes, these little things that teams will tinker with. If there is a team that you can bank on there being positive changes made, especially to starting pitcher, it's going to be Cleveland. They are on a very short list of some of the best developing, best best uh, pitching development organizations in baseball. And I think that Bobby, even maybe it won't be a sub-3 ERA next year, but I think you will see him build – on the skills that we did see in year one. So maybe it won't be a sub three ERA again. It probably won't, but I don't think it'll be quite as high as what we're projecting from steamer either, which is 4.2. I think we're probably looking at somewhere in the mid threes ERA with a slightly above average strikeout and walk rate, which is just fine, right? It's not anything that's going to be, you know, pushing him way, way high up in drafts. It's not like for me personally, anyway, it's just going to be, he's going to be a solid kind of like SP three or SP four. Now, the price is a little high. I'll admit the price is a little high for what I want to personally be paying. I'm not so put off, but it's 103.7 is the ADP over the last month. Minimum pick of 90, maximum of 113. I think people might be slightly overestimating him, but it's not to the point where they're saying, oh, it was a sub-3 ERA as a rookie. He's a top 50 pick. Like It's not like we're doing that kind of thing. And it could have very easily gone that way. Sometimes you do see the fantasy baseball community kind of lose its mind over certain players early in draft season. Royce Lewis, Nolan Jones, uh, you know, Tariq Skuba. We've seen various examples. We haven't seen it to the same extent with Tanner Bybee. He is a more palatable, you know, eighth round kind of draft pick. And I think at that point you can take the dive on him. And he's not somebody that's going to be a huge, huge target of mine, especially not next year. But I think over the next several years, Tanner Bybee is going to develop into one of the top 15 or 20 starting pitchers in baseball, somebody that I'm consistently ranking there as an SP1 or an SP2. I don't know that I'm quite ready to fully dive in with both feet this year and say, yeah, I'm taking them on every team. It's a, it's a, it is a, a reasonable enough price, but I'm not 100% certain that we are going to see the skills translate next year to what will be a top 100 season again necessarily. And I think there will be some balancing out of him actually getting better to go along with some of the natural regression that you will see because a sub-3 ERA as a rookie is just not terribly sustainable. You're not going to have a sub-3 ERA every year of your career. You're just not. Nobody's going to do it. There will naturally be coming some regression there. I don't think it'll be that bad, and I'll take him on a couple teams. And I honestly, he's one of those players where it's kind of hard to actually have a final word on how I feel about him But I think I'm pretty okay generally with the price as long as you're not overinvesting. He's not one of those guys like Pete Fairbanks is going in the same kind of range, generally speaking, and he's a guy I'm taking on every team because of different factors, because of closer scarcity, because he's going later than other guys, et cetera, et cetera. At that point, he is like a must draft in that range, and that's just one random example of like there are guys that I would – Put in the must draft range. Bybee not necessarily one of them. And again, I don't want that to come off as being like I don't want any of him. I do want him on a couple teams, but he's not that safe thing yet in my mind where I would say absolutely smash the button every single time you're up here at pick 100. I think you can do it a few times, especially you know if you're playing 20, 30 teams, whatever. If you're playing in one league, there is a little bit of risk there considering you know, the draft price and the fact that it will not be quite as good as what we saw this past season of that. I'm almost certain, but again, I still think it'll be like a three and a half to three, seven, five type of ERA. It'll be a, probably a very good season. I just don't know if I'm willing to invest what will likely end up being a top hundred draft pick in him every single time. I'll do it here and there, but again, he's not somebody that is a must roster player for me, really good player, not a must roster player this year. Let's move on and talk Tyler Wells, number 32 on our list. Man, I was, I was so in love with him in the first half of the season. I drafted him on a gladiator team that I did for the second half of the year. And, of course, he had a couple of bad starts, was sent down. And I honestly think that Baltimore was a little premature in sending him down. I understand why they did it, because it was three truly horrendous outings, one after the other. I'm just trying to find them here in the game log. Um, it was the Dodgers, it was Baltimore, and it was the Yankees that consecutively really got to him there at the end of July, right? Coming out of the All-Star break, two innings against the Dodgers, five earned, four and a third against Tampa. He allowed three and walked four, and then four and a third, or excuse me, then two and two-thirds against the Yankees where he allowed three earned runs. He allowed a couple homers, and he walked three, and then he was sent down. He was down in the minors for a month and a half, almost two months, really. It was closer to two months And I was honestly really shocked because of how incredibly good Tyler Wells was in the first half of the season. He had a 3.18 ERA in the first half to go along with sparkling metrics, especially, especially the whip. Like he was not allowing anybody on base. It was 0.93. Yes, some of the advanced numbers were showing that he was getting a bit lucky. But I think that they really pulled the trigger too early on sending Tyler Wells down. He was somebody who should have been allowed more of a leash considering how great he was in the first half of the season. I believe Tyler Wells was an all-star. I don't focus too much on the all-star game, but Tyler Wells made improvements in the strikeout rate. The walk rate went up a little bit, but he was striking out 25% of batters to go along with just a 7% walk rate. For the year, he still ended with a point one ninety two batting average against and a .99 whip. He had a two hundred BABIP, which was probably not terribly sustainable, but he was performing up until a couple of rocky outings. I personally think that they should have given him more of a rope he he came up and he actually got a save for you down the stretch if you were on a team where it was a gladiator type and you couldn't take him out of your lineup you actually got a save from him which could have you know it probably did benefit you in some way there I know it's just one save but you never really know how things are going to play out uh, over the course of a long season that one save might have benefited you now in terms of how I'm looking at him for 2024 I don't really a hundred percent no, yet because I don't know if the Orioles are going to give him that chance to be in the starting rotation as of right now according to roster resource and they are guessing here at this point he's not listed in the rotation they have Bradish listed as the first pitcher Grayson Rodriguez John Means Dean Kramer and Cole Irvin I personally think he should get the chance over either Kramer or Irvin but it's not a situation right now where we have certainty that he is going to be in the rotation to start the year So I don't know that I can really get around drafting him too often. You don't have to pay for it, right, over the last 13 drafts, which is what we're talking about here. He's going to pick 320 on average. 285 is the minimum, 358 is the maximum. I don't really feel that strongly about it at that point. Pick 320, you're talking a 15-team league. Around 21, 22 kind of range by ADP it's not a terribly large investment. If he does end up finding that same kind of beauty that he had last year, you might be able to strike gold there, but I don't know that it's necessarily going to happen. I just don't know what the Orioles are going to do. They're a team that I thought should have gone out and bought themselves a proper SP one at the deadline last year. I thought that they were going to make a trade, whether it was for glass now or cease or whoever, maybe they still end up going after somebody big in free agency But I honestly don't know. They're a very confusing team. They should try and make a trade because of their surplus of prospects. They probably, you know, it would benefit them to move off of a couple of those infield prospects at this point because a lot of them aren't going to pan out, let's be honest. They have like 10, you know, top-tier prospects. They're not going to be 10 Major League All-Stars, right? And I don't know if it's 10 exactly. It might be 8. It might be 11. You need to trade a couple of these guys, I think, for a starting pitcher. Whether or not they do that, I'm not sure. But the question if they do that or not is... You know, if they do that, then there's no chance that Wells is going to have a chance at the rotation, probably, right? If they bring in another high-leverage, not high-leverage, high-end arm, uh, high-end starting pitcher, then there's not really room for Tyler Wells in that rotation. Now, there's always injuries that pop up, and, you know, at that point, he's probably going to make some starts next year. But I don't have any certainty in my mind that he is actually going to be a guy getting 23 starts, 22 starts. Steamer doesn't either. They're projecting three starts, 63 total appearances with a 4.14 ERA. So it's not crazy to think that you might draft him and you might get zero starts out of him for the whole year. It, there's a world where that happens. And I don't think the price precludes you from drafting him even with that risk, but I don't think there's a hell of a lot of upside there. Like, will he be able to pitch to a 200 BABIP again with an 82% left on base rate? Probably not. Like, he's always been a guy with a good whip. He'll probably be able to do that for you still, but even that's not really 100% guaranteed. I don't know what the volume is going to look like. I don't even know what they're going to look like at all, really. We're still very early in the offseason, but right now, if you don't have a job guaranteed and you're in a draft today, it's hard to draft that guy, right? Especially right now, he's projected as a middle reliever. There's not, terrible, there's not a ton of middle relievers who are going to have a lot of fantasy value. So I think at this point, honestly, Tyler Wells is going to have to be a pass for me for 2024. Let's move on to number 34, and that is Jordan Montgomery. Jordan Montgomery, I think, really has proven himself over the last couple seasons as being a lot better than what people were probably thinking he was. I I think people, myself included, were thinking Montgomery was, you know, a decent kind of like four starter in a rotation, maybe a three if the rotation was not so deep. And I mean, he had some good seasons in New York. He missed some time uh, in 2018, 2019. So, I mean, maybe we didn't really have a full picture of him until these last couple of seasons, but the last three full years for Jordan Montgomery have been incredible. 383 ERA, 348, and a 3.20. You're looking at pretty solid whips there, specifically these last two years. 1.28 in 2021 isn't amazing, but each of the last two years, you're looking at 1.09 and 1.19. You're looking at decent enough strikeout rates. They're pretty average, but you're also looking at a really great walk rate. So you're still getting 16 to 17 kind of strikeout minus walk rate, which is very, very good pitching for good teams. He's given you you know decent number of wins. It was only 10, but I mean, you'll take that considering how random it is. Like I mentioned, Sonny gray in his Cy Young final the season only got eight. So I think you'll take double digit victories from Montgomery with that 3.2 ERA 1.19 whip. It's excellent. Now, He still hasn't signed. He's one of these people who is frustrating people like me because he hasn't signed yet. Of course, these guys need to take their time and figure out where they're going to go, but it also, from the logistics standpoint of fantasy baseball, does drive you a little bit nuts. Where is he going to play? How am I going to be ranking him? What are my projections going to look like? It does definitely vary based on team, based on ballpark, based on which league they're in, division, blah, blah, blah. I don't know what that's going to look like for Montgomery. I have absolutely no clue where he is going to sign. I haven't heard anything about him, speculation-wise, rumors or anything for the last couple of weeks. I don't think I, there hasn't really been a hell of a lot of chatter about him. I'm sure there's a market. There's got to be a market, but I have no idea where he's going to go. Maybe he goes back to Texas. I, I honestly have no idea at this point. Now his price is one forty one, one thirteen minimum, one sixty four maximum. I have no problem with that. You're taking him around, you know, round nine, round ten. Maybe you're reaching into round eight. But I think at this point, we know Montgomery is a really solid option. Who is going to be able to eat probably a good amount of innings for you? We've seen, you know, pretty healthy knock on wood seasons each of the last three years. 30 starts, 32 starts, 32 starts. You know, that kind of volume that you're getting, round nine of consistent, good innings pitched is not easy to come by. And I think that Montgomery, wherever he signs, is probably going to be pretty stable. I don't expect him to go to a clunker team. I think you're probably going to see him go either back to Texas or to another probably pretty decent team and be able to be a competitive pitcher, be able to give you some wins. And even though the strikeouts aren't going to be great, I think you'll still get them on a volume basis, 188 innings this year, got 166 Ks, which again, it's not amazing, but it's not his defining trait. He doesn't really have a specific massive defining fantasy trait, which can be troubling, but he's not a premium player. He's not being drafted at a premium price. He's just one of those guys who can eat innings for you in that kind of Bailey Oba range of guy who's, you know, not spectacular, but just a really nice filler on your team there who you're going to be confidently starting pretty much every single week. So I have really no problem with taking Montgomery there wherever he goes. As long as we don't see him go to a terrible ballpark if he signs in Cincinnati, not going to love it, but we'll have to reevaluate once he does actually put pen to paper. Let's talk about number 35 now, hit the halfway point, and that's Nathan Ivaldi. Nathan Ivaldi, when he was healthy last season, was incredibly good. The thing that kind of surprised me with Ivaldi is the fact that he's still been able to be good while not really having many strikeouts. Like, he's not somebody that's been a massive strikeout guy, really, in his career. But he has consistently gone down each of the past four years in strikeout rate, from 26 to 25 to 22, now to 21, pretty much. Well, no, still 22. But you you get the drift. We're going down in strikeout rate. The walk rate has gone from 3.5 to 4.5, up to 8.1%. So that K-walk... minus which was 22% in 2020, is now 147 I don't really trust him from a health standpoint going forward, even though he has generally kind of been healthy. I just don't really know. And again, it kind of goes against what my own philosophy has been, but Eovaldi is somebody where I do kind of worry about what we are going to be seeing from him. We've seen the velocity go down consistently as well as the strikeouts over the years. He doesn't throw the fastball nearly as much as he used to. He's still been able to be good, but how sustainable that is, I honestly don't really know. He had a 363 ERA this season. He had a 396 XFIP. You know, he had good supporting metrics. 418 Sierra was a little high, but when that's the highest of all your metrics, that's not too bad at all, really. I just don't know that I trust the to go out there and give you a full season worth of great production, like we did see from him on a per inning basis. Uh, this past year, now you don't, and even the last couple seasons, really if all these been a good pitcher? Now for for several seasons, I just think that the wheels are going to come off eventually. And now entering into his age thirty four season with the velocity declining and everything else that goes around it, I don't know that I really love him. Now you're not paying a steep price for him one ninety five ADP. It's not terrible at all. You know one sixty one minimum, two twenty three maximum. I can get around it. I can take a chance and hope that he's able to kind of. You know, outrun what probably should have happened a couple years ago, which is probably a bad season, like a real bad season incoming. Maybe he's able to do it one more time, but I don't think that I personally want to be taking the chance. Again, if you're a volume player, you can take him once or twice in this range. It's not an egregious price at all. But if you're just playing one team this year, I don't know that Evaldi is necessarily the guy that I do want to be investing in. Again, you guys listening right now in December are probably not the type of people who will just play in one league. Maybe you are, but I think if you're listening to a fantasy baseball podcast four months out from when the season starts, you're probably going to be playing in a few leagues. You can take any of You can take him once or twice, but don't be getting into a point where you're thinking, well, he's a sub four ERA pitcher every year at this price. I got to take him in every league because that's what he's going to do for me. I don't know that that's necessarily the case, and I wouldn't really bank on it happening again. Let's talk about Joe Musgrove. Joe Musgrove is somebody that worries me a little bit right off the bat here. He was somebody that was talked about a lot in Arizona at first pitch uh, Arizona as being somebody that we should probably be really careful about coming into this season uh, because of the injuries. And there's actually been quite a few of them over the years that will make you kind of concerned with him. Most recently, though, it's the shoulder the end of the season was derailed for him because of his shoulder. He had to miss time. He also missed time earlier in the year, if you guys remember. He missed time to start last season because he dropped a weight on his toe. It's not something that I'm gonna be, you know, reading into as being like, oh, well, this is gonna happen every year. Now he's gonna drop weights on his toes. No, it's a freak injury. But it's just, you know, another thing that you gotta overcome. And I think we'll kind of overlook even something small like that in the fantasy world, the baseball world. But it's just a little bit more wear and tear on your body. It's not the end of the world, of course, but it's just another thing you got to think about. And when you're already Musgrove going through a bunch of injuries, you've had to miss time, a couple different points of the season. You missed the start of the year and you missed the end of the year. It's not great. And again, it's not the big concern. The big concern is obviously the shoulder. The shoulder, I don't know 100% if he is going to be ready for the start of the season. I, I don't know that he's not going to be ready. I haven't heard one way or the other. But I haven't heard any good news, and usually in, you know, good news, bad news, I haven't really heard anything about his shoulder. And you would have thought that at this point, we're about halfway through the offseason, we would have heard something. I don't know necessarily what to read into that, but I don't love it. At this point, and especially considering the words of a lot of smart people that I know that cover injuries more closely than I do, Musgrove seems to be one of the bigger risks that you can take early in your draft. And I say early, he's going sometimes inside of the top 100 with a 104 ADP, 103.9 to be specific, 90 on the minimum, 115 on the maximum recently. He's going inside the top 100 about as often as he's going outside of it at this point. I don't know that I want to be taking that chance on a guy who might go into the year and we might have some kind of setback. And, you know, we you just don't ever really know especially when you're drafting this time of year, right? You could draft somebody, and then tomorrow they have Tommy John surgery. They're done for the year. You never know. You don't want to put yourself in a situation where you're drafting injured guys or guys with more injury risk, I would say, especially when they're currently injured, right? When you're already going to be dealing with so many injuries in season, you know, uh, there's just not that many roster spots, especially right now if you're drafting NFBC leagues. There's no IL, so you get your Musgrove. You hear that he's hurt. He's a guy, especially just because of how good he has been. And Musgrove, when he's out there, is amazing. But you can't drop him because of how good the potential is. You know, if he's healthy Musgrove, he's a top 10, top 15 starting pitcher. But the downside of that is he keeps having setbacks. He's hurt next season. He, you know, he throws, you know, seven starts sporadically throughout the year. And you're just holding him on your roster because of that potential. You can't drop him. He's Joe Musgrove. That's something that is a legitimate concern for me, and I'm honestly not drafting him anywhere this year. I think there's enough pitching that you can compensate for later in the 100s, even beyond pick 200, where I don't need to take a chance, especially inside the top 100 on Musgrove. And that max pick is not terribly appealing either. 115, it's only like a round later. If I have that much of a concern with a player, one round shouldn't really be the difference maker. And that's something that we kind of fall into sometimes. Well, I didn't like him at 105, but I'll take him at 113. Some players, that makes sense. But for a guy with this kind of injury concern with Musgrove, he's not somebody that I can really get behind taking this year. I, I'm going to have to be a firm out at this point unless we get some really positive updates. Joe Musgrove progressing really well, and it looks like he's fine for the start of the year. like that. But that, the thing with that is that will just move the price up. And so if, if you hear that kind of news, Musgrove, who's already probably going to mo- move up because that's the nature of pitchers, now you're getting a top... 70 price probably a top 60 price and then you get the injury you know if you get the injury news altogether, like you're probably looking at a top 60 minimum pick on joe musgrove if you get all the you know if everything goes according to plan and that still doesn't mean that you're going to get a full healthy season out of him it just might mean that your price got pushed up three rounds so i just can't do it i really can't do it this year on musgrove but let's talk about his new teammate michael king Michael King obviously came over as probably the headliner. I guess you could consider it to be Drew Thorpe, maybe depending on who you are and how you want to view it, of the once Soto trade. Michael King coming off of a year where he threw 49 games, nine of them were starts. He had a 275 ERA with a 337 XFIP, a 313 FIP, and a Sierra of 329. He also had a 29.5 strikeout rate with a 7.4 walk rate, 22K minus walk rate. That is absolutely elite. Now, the reason people are all abuzz about Michael King is because of the stretch that he had down the end of the season. He was absolutely dominant when they started giving him regular starts. At first, it was occasional open. It was a couple times um, before they actually let him go proper starts. Uh, there was one time against Miami and one time against Washington where you were just seeing him as kind of an opener, and he fared fairly well, I guess, not amazingly against uh, Miami Against Washington, though, it was two and two-thirds, shutout ball, three strikeouts. After that, they let him go four innings against Detroit, shutout ball, five strikeouts. Five innings against Houston, next time out, one run, four strikeouts. And then Milwaukee, five innings, nine Ks, one earned run. Boston, in Fenway, four and two-thirds, eight Ks, one earned run. And then the crowning jewel of the season for Michael King was a start against Toronto at home on September the 20th, when he went seven innings, one run ball, and struck out 13 Toronto Blue Jays. Followed that up with a six-shutout inning performance against Toronto. In Toronto, he did walk five batters, but still shut out ball over six innings, and then he had kind of a clunker against Kansas City to end the year. But overall, people are absolutely frothing over Michael King and his... I mean, he was used, the Yankees used him as a centerpiece to get Juan Soto... After nine starts, I mean, you got to tip your cap. You got to absolutely tip your cap. I thought that they didn't have that kind of game in them anymore, but apparently they did. And I know there was other pieces. Thorpe could be really good. They got Juan Friggin Soto, uh, and essentially they got him for—I don't want to say nothing, but they got him for a very relatively cheap price, in my opinion. Michael King, being the headliner there, is kind of ridiculous, but good for the Yankees. Uh, Very poor asset management, I think, by the Padres over the last couple seasons, which we have talked about. Don't want to rub salt in the wound, but I don't love it. Now, Michael King, in terms of what we are expecting from him this season, I think it's completely unknown. And anybody tells you that it's going to be this or that or the other has no idea. Nobody has any clue if Michael King is going to be able to sustain a full workload. He just threw 104 innings. It was by far the most he'd thrown in a major league season. You're talking 51 in 2022, 63 in 2021. And of course, in 2020, weren't a lot of innings to go around. He threw 26 of them. This is not a guy that you can expect, I don't think, to be able to just throw 150, 140 innings. He threw 149 innings in high A for Miami in 2017. That's when he was a starter coming up. In 2018, he threw 82 innings in Double A and then 39 in AAA, so you're looking at like 120. And then over the last several seasons, you're looking at a, a much reduced workload as opposed to what he was seeing early in his career because they thought he was going to be a starter. Now, to get him back up to that kind of workload is definitely doable over the course of an offseason, but it also doesn't guarantee that you're going to see the kind of returns that we saw for Michael King down the stretch here. It's, it's too small of a sample size to read anything into it. You know, you could even argue, honestly, and it's a, it's a good point, that even a whole one season, one full season isn't really enough of a sample size to read a lot into a player. To argue that nine starts can really tell you that Michael King is going to do well or not do well or be able to handle a sustained workload of, you know, 25 to 30 starts, I don't think anybody has any clue. I think that he'll be fine. I think that he'll probably be somebody who pitches to, like, a high threes, low fours ERA, who probably isn't able to sustain the same kind of strikeout rate as a starter, probably won't see that walk rate sustained to the same extent either. It was 7.4 on the walk rate. Probably expect what Steamer's calling for about 8.5 to 9. I think the strikeout rate, again, once you have a guy that transitions from the pen having to throw more innings as a starter, you don't usually see the K rate sustained. You don't usually see the velocity sustain either. So I think there is a potential for Michael King to kind of be one of those cherry bombs this year where you draft him and he just explodes on you. And not in a good way. I think that he could explode on you and become, you know, uh, a setup man for for San Diego. And maybe the best case scenario, if he doesn't pan out as a starter, is that they end up using him as a closer. I don't know if it's going to be Suarez or what's going to happen there if they sign somebody else, use somebody else. That is also maybe a possibility that if he isn't able to cut it as a starter, they use him in the pen as a closer. Maybe worst case, it becomes a setup man or a middle relief type. And I think that's in the cards, which is why I can't really get behind drafting him. It's not a terribly expensive price. You're paying 143 129 min, 163 max over the last month. But it's just not a place where I really want to be getting in bed. You know, top 10, top, uh, first 10 rounds with a guy who very realistically might not have a starting job. They're going to try. They're going to try it out, obviously, based on, you know, the cost to get him. But they are not guaranteed to just let him have 30 starts, depending on how it's going. He might look terrible. He might not be able to pitch five innings every time out, and he might be in the pen by May. So that's my concern. I can't really get behind taking him where he's going at 143. I think the price is just a little bit too high for me. Let's talk about number 38, Nick Pavetta. You want to talk about a great small sample size. Nick Pavetta in the second half of the season was, you know, it's going to sound absolute, like absolute horseshit. He was arguably the best pitcher in baseball, the best starting pitcher in baseball. I know, but go look at the numbers yourself. In the second half of the season, there were very few pitchers who were on the same level as Pavetta. He had a 330 ERA. He was striking out, where is it, 35.4% of batters, 6.6% walk rate. He had a 28.8 strikeout minus walk rate with a .96 whip. He had a 195 batting average against... He was electric, and he had a two eighty x fip a three twenty eight fip like it looked like it was legitimately sustainable stuff from Nick pavetta i don 't know if it is, and i 've drafted him on one of my two teams that I have done so far this year, got another draft coming up next week we 'll see if I end up taking him. I think it 's a reasonable enough gamble to take a shot on Pavetta, even though i don 't love him right like we've we 've done this dance before with Nick Pavetta right we don 't know exactly what it 's going to be, but at least we know that he's able to sustain a full workload as a starter, right? That's what he has been the majority of his career. This year he was coming out of the pen for quite a bit, especially early on. But honestly, that, if anything, might just mean he's more refreshed this season. We've seen him throw 165, 155, 180 innings. He was only at 142. Could be a world where we see Pavetta able to actually hit like 180, 185 innings, and give you that volume, and we know with the volume, Pavetta, there will be strikeouts. The strikeouts are going to be there, 25.5% carried for the career, and we saw it shoot up this past season. Now, will it stay up at 31.2%? I'm guessing not. That would put him in line with Gosman, with Snell, with Strider, with Pablo Lopez, not quite Strider level, but it would put him in the top five range in starting pitchers for Major League Baseball. I don't think I can put him in that group. But I think that he's still probably somebody that's going to be able to give you some decent innings this season. His price is not terrible. It's lower than I thought it would be. It's 182, 159 minimum, 214 maximum. I can get behind him there. I can absolutely get behind taking a share of Nick Pavetta at pick 182. You're talking around 13 pick, and he might end up being a guy that's able to give you 200 strikeouts in the sub-4 ERA. He might be your fifth starting pitcher. He might be your seventh starting pitcher at that point. I think you got to take the chance on it. And he's not somebody that I'm taking every team, but he's somebody I take on like three-quarters of my teams, especially in your shallower formats. If it doesn't pan out, that's a price where, honestly, a lot of players aren't going to pan out in that range. You can feel pretty comfortable dropping him if it doesn't, and you're not going to be kicking yourself for it. It's not like you're drafting him top 100. If it doesn't pan out, then you're you're really kicking yourself. You take him closer to 200, a lot of those guys are going to be drops anyway. If there's the upside for Pavetta, then, honestly, I, I would be taking it. Uh, if you're able to get him, as long as the price doesn't go inside the top 150, 140, 130 range, 182 is very, very reasonable in my opinion. Let's talk about 20, or excuse me, 39, and that's Shane Omax, Shane McClanahan. Oh, man, this was a tough one. This was a really tough one. I was ahead of consensus on McClanahan this year. I had him ranked, I believe, as my number three starting pitcher. He was way up there, and I felt real smart for the first half of the season. Of course, Shane McClanahan had to undergo Tommy John surgery in the middle of the season. He is not going to pitch in Major League Baseball this year, I don't think. I mean, I'd be really shocked if he's able to come back at the end of the season. Let me think. August? No, I don't. I don't think. I don't think there's a world where he pitches this year at all. Um, you know, I was thinking maybe if he's able to have like an early timeline, he comes back for the end of the season. But there's there's really no world where I see that happening. Now, he wasn't quite as good as what we'd seen in the past couple of years. and How much of that you want to put on the injury, I'm not sure. But, you know, even with the 3.29 ERA, you saw the strikeout rate come down. You saw the walk rate go up quite a bit. You know, went from 5.9, which is excellent, to 8.7, which is kind of not. Uh, 30.3K rate last year went down to 25.8. I don't really know what McClanahan's going to look like coming back from Tommy John. It'll be his age 28 season at that point. I think he'll probably be okay. He'll probably be able to get back to, like, 90%, if not more, of what we used to see from him. But I'm curious if that'll be closer to the 25% strike rate or the 30% strikeout rate, you know? If that'll be closer to the 6% walk rate or the 9% walk rate. It does make a difference. You know, you're talking the difference between, you know, what was a .93 whip in 2022 it got up to a 1.18 whip. Other factors involved there, but that's a big part of it, right? The walk rate, you're closing in on doubling it. Obviously, it's not quite that drastic, but you're getting there. It's going to have a big impact on your whip. So I wonder if McClanahan will be able to get back to the, that 2022 level or if we'll see him maybe closer to the 2023 level. Either way, I'm not terribly worried about his long-term outlook. I think that he'll be still really, really excellent uh, in the long run. But we are going to unfortunately have to wait a year to see what that does look like. Let's wrap it up with number 40, Bryce Miller of the Los Angeles Dodgers. I mean, damn. He had uh, an excuse me, not Bryce Miller. <laughs> I'm mixing up my Millers here. It's Bobby Miller of the Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, that one was a little bit confusing a couple times this year, especially if you're on a site where it just said B. Miller, uh, and I did just do it again just there myself. Uh, Bobby Miller, not Bryce Miller. Both excellent young pitching prospects, but I think Bobby Miller is the one who is going to be – The potential future ace, just what the Dodgers need, of course. Another ace on their staff, but he's that good. If you look at Stuff Plus numbers, he's right up there among the leaderboards. And I know some people like it, some people don't, but the actual quality of the pitches you're throwing should be something that we do consider more and more for fantasy. It's something that I have started to implement more and more into my process. It's hard to find a better-looking pitcher than Bryce – I did it again – than Bobby Miller. (laughs) 376 ERA this past season, and his supporting metrics were – All below it, other than the Sierra, which was slightly above it at 393, but he had a 345 XERA, a 351 FIP, a 375 XFIP. He also had a 23.6% K rate, which is fine, pretty average, but a very nice 6.3% walk rate. 1.10 whip for him in his first season. You'll take everything you got. Also, the beauty of pitching for the Dodgers is that 22 starts led to 11 wins for Bobby Miller. It's not something that you can say is going to happen every single year, but you do have that increased potential for wins, especially now that they've assembled the Avengers. You're going to be looking at, you know, if he starts 30 games, good chance you end up with 14, 15 wins there for Miller, especially considering how great he is. You've also taken a lot of the pressure off of him, right? As opposed to having to be potentially the SP1. Now you're looking at him being like an SP4 for this team. You know, you probably think, okay, it's going to be Bob uh, Walker Bueller as the SP1 and then Miller as the 2. Eh, you don't have to worry about that anymore with Glass now, with Yamamoto, and then with Shohei Otani next year. A lot of pressure taken off of Bobby Miller. He's still going to have the bright lights of Los Angeles on him. But as a number 4 or 5, you know, you could see guys like Hyunjin Ryu a few years ago. He didn't have that intense pressure of being the number 1 starter. You had Urias there. You had Kershaw. You had Bauer there for a while. Grinky was there. And you had Ryu just come and shine and come second in Cy Young voting to DeGrom in 2019. It does happen, right? And sometimes that can be an overlooked part of the process too is that he's a young guy. He can just kind of do his thing at age 25 and develop without having to worry about being the ace of the Dodgers and just be a mid-rotation guy for a couple of years and probably still do incredible things for you. Now, Bobby Miller, I almost did it again. I almost in my brain said Bryce Miller. Bobby Miller, the price for Bobby Miller... Is, is very high. It's 74 on the early ADP number. 63 is the minimum. 82 is the maximum. I can probably get behind it, but again, this comes down to how many leagues you play in. That's a huge thing for me. If you play in 10 leagues, then at this price, I think you can take Bobby Miller a couple times and be okay with it. If you're talking one league, you play in just your single league with your friends and Bobby Miller is going to pick 74, 75, you know, assuming the pitching will probably be a little more expensive, maybe you're talking top 70 pick. Don't know that I really want to be taking him in that range ahead of some guys that I feel a little more confident about, I think, in the long run. Jesus Cezardo, Zach Eflin, they're going below him. Joe Ryan's going below. Kyle Bradish is going below. Walker Buehler, Justin Steele. There are options at starting pitcher that are a little more cost-effective with guys that have a, a much larger track record for the most part. Again, I think Mueller will be really good. The projections think he'll have a 4.02 ERA, have pretty much the same strikeout and walk rates as last year. They think it'll be a fairly similar season, which was a very good year. You're talking him as the number 40 SP. I mean, it's, it's a very good season. But I don't know that I want to be necessarily taking him inside of the top 70 picks because of that. I think that you can justify it, but I don't think that you necessarily need to be doing it in order to build yourself a strong team. If you are a huge Dodger fan, you want to have one share of Miller, I don't think it's an egregious price, but I think it does have the potential to be a little bit disappointing um, considering how high it is. You're talking like a fifth-round pick and a 15-teamer. He might be your SP2, and he really needs to pay off at that point. At that price, he doesn't really have time you know, for your team's sake, to be the number four starter. He needs to perform like an ace. He might be the number four guy in the rotation, in the pecking order, but he needs to perform like an ace to meet that kind of value for you in your draft. And I just don't know that I can necessarily get behind it right now. Um, I'll take him a couple times, but he definitely is not somebody that is a must-draft player for me this year. But that's 31 through 40. Tomorrow, we'll do 41 through 50. And I think we'll just keep going into the new year or to conclude this year anyway with these groups of pitchers. And then once the new year hits, it is team preview time. It is projection time. It is a lot of fun stuff, mock drafts, rankings, all of that stuff. But make sure you guys are keeping track of what's going on, of course, at sportsethos.com. But go and follow us on social at joeorico 99 Also at Ethos Fantasy BB, that is the place to be checking us out. But until tomorrow, guys, take care. Have a great night. I hope everybody had a great holiday, and we'll see you again tomorrow.